Hello and welcome to B-Side, where we revisit business world stories. For four centuries, the city of Manila has been a venue for international trade. It was the seat of the colonial government of Spain for 300 years. But much of the city was destroyed in 1945 during World War II, where American forces from both the U.S. mainland and the Philippines fought against Japanese troops in the Battle of Manila. In this episode, arts and leisure reporter Michelle Ann P. Suleiman chats with Wander Manila head tour guide Benjamin Canapi. Having done walking tours since 2012, Mr. B. Canapi talks about the city's history beyond what we learn in classroom lectures and history books. He also remembers the late Intramuros tour guide, activist, and performance artist, Carlos Sildran. Lastly, Mr. B. Canapi tells us what the future of walking tours in Manila could look like. Hello, Sir B. Canapi. How did you get into doing tours and how long have you been doing it? Okay, professionally, I've been touring for about two and a half years, but I've actually started doing tours like siguro mga early 2012, 2013, but more for a voluntary purpose. I mean, basically, culmination of research, presenting research to a crowd that you're going to take around. And touring was the best way to showcase it because I've always been a heritage and an urban design advocate. So the best way to show people heritage and especially urban design for, you know, urban landscapes is to take them around. So I've been doing that on a voluntary basis since 2012, 2013. But I've officially become a tour guide as in, you know, getting paid for touring finally 2018. Coincides also with Carlos preparing to leave for, what do you call this, for Madrid at the time. How was your walking tours different from other historical tours? A good walking tour will have similarities no matter who does it. It's going to be a combination of historical facts na, you know, packaged in an entertaining and engaging manner. So, I can name a couple of touring operators that is going to be similar with me. Um, There's quite a few of them operating in the Manila area. I think my unique setting point as a tour operator is that I try my best to customize each experience depending on the crowd that I'm with. I'm not one size fits all. I'm more of a if I'm with young people who are easily distracted or who just likes to take photos, I adjust accordingly. If I'm with people who are hungry for information, then we go hard on the facts. If I'm with kids who are running around, then I take them to places where they can run around. I think my signature has always been customization. Reading the room, basically. Can you give us a day in the life of Bikanapi as a tour guide? Assuming that I'm going to tour that day. After waking up, I'll take a quick breakfast, then I'll review my notes, especially if I'm taking the group out on a tour that's not the usual, if there's some customization. I'm going to review, I'm going to relax a little bit, and then I'm going to be at the venue at least an hour before the group arrives. So once the group arrives, I'll take care of them first check if they're okay, then I'll give them a few reminders, and then we'll start the tour already. Two, three hours later, after the tour is done and, you know, the tour group has gone, I usually detoxify, I usually sit and decompress, basically, because touring is not easy, especially in Manila. Usually, your body has a tendency to overheat, especially during the summer. So, you really need that one hour that you're just sitting and just resting and just relaxing. But more importantly, also emptying your head, basically. Because 
after regurgating a lot of information, you need to relax. So after that, then you go home or then you do dinner or something like that. How do you prepare or do your research for your tours? That's an ongoing process. Eh? I don't necessarily prepare for every tour because I do have tours that are already packaged. Most people kasi will ask for an intermodal tour, first and foremost. That's like 80-90% of people will always ask for intermodal. So because of repetition, I can already do an intermodal tour like half asleep. Yung ganun eh. Medyo sanay na eh. So it's already a matter of customization dito. Again, whether it's a young group, it's an old group, it's kids, it's titas. That's where the adjustment I have to. But as far as preparing per tour, it's an ongoing process. I don't prepare for a tour every time. I, But I'm always constantly reading, constantly researching. If something new pops up, for example, when the dungeons open, then you try to incorporate that. Which, by the way, is not going to happen because the lines for the dungeons are horribly long. So if a new attraction in Intermohus pops up, you try to figure out if that works or not. If you know that you're going to tour people that are more academic, then you brush up on your history and you brush up on your dates. But a good tour guide always reviews and always studies because what we know as facts now may not be the same facts within the next two to three years. Things are always in a state of flux when it comes to history and how we interpret it. So, yun. Tell us about how you started Wonder Manila. It was supposed to be just one of those Facebook, Instagram pages that were just highlighting Manila. And it wasn't even supposed to be Manila. It was Metro Manila. So, the best the area can offer. So, basically, the bars of Makati, the laid-backness of the South, Yung controlled chaos of QC, aminin natin. Yung stuff like that. Tapos eventually kasi, when it became apparent that I was going to start touring on my own, then I took the name na lang and turned it into a touring group. It kind of fell into place that way. Yeah. Tell us what sets it apart apart from walking tours. Again, what makes me unique is my ability to adjust on the fly. And my ability to customize each experience depending on who I'm with. I'm also entertaining, sabi nila. I don't like kasi tours that people just state the facts and everything. And then you're just supposed to take it at face value. I like to put a little spin. I like to make it entertaining. I like to throw in a little sarcasm there. Which if you read their history, sobrang bagay maging sarcastic ng konti. So I like to make my guests laugh. I like them to be to be constantly happy because I know that if you entertain your guests, the more they listen to you. The more that you don't on needlessly long, the more they zone out. So I try to be funny, I try to be sarcastic, I try to be biting slightly. May konting weirdness, cynicism, ng konting chan, halo-halo and everything. But you try to package it. Of course, binabagay mo yan. Once you start up talking about something like the Battle of Manila, which, coincidentally, it's the 75th anniversary of this year. I don't think pwede ka magpatawa doon because it's a horrible experience. But when you start talking about why we're so Catholic, yeah, I think a lot of jokes can come out of that. So, a bit of push and pull also. The customization also occurs depending on the nationality of who I'm touring mm-hmm. because every single tour guide has had that one or two Americans who walk out of the tour when they are told 
but they cost just as much destruction as the Japanese during the Battle of Manila. And a lot of Americans can't handle that. So sometimes the adjustment is not necessary not to say it, huh? because it has to be said, but how you say it. How is doing historical tours different from learning history in the classroom? Okay. If I told you right now that Intermuros is well, 600,000 plus plus thousand square meters, would you appreciate it? No, it's just, it's a size. It's, there's no tangible, there's nothing tangible about this. If I tell you that's that big, and I tell you that it's 448, going on 449 years old, will you care? You won't care because it's just text on paper. But if I take you to Intermores and you walk the walls, and then I tell you that it's 448 years old, and then you start seeing some of these aspects, then it becomes more real for you. But if I tell you, that the Malavasias are on 450,000 square meters. So if you can include the states I had more and some of the immediate areas, it's almost as big as Intermuros. And then if I tell you that during the 1800, there were seven churches inside Intermuros. But if I tell you that try putting seven churches inside the Mall of Asia, that's how crazy it was in Intermuros. Then you have more of an, uh, the, the, but now, now you're smiling. Now you have an image in your head. Now it's tangible to you. Touring makes all this information tangible. It takes a special person kasi to be able to read yung the, all these facts, to read all the history books and to strain it into a manner that they can understand. And usually, it doesn't happen for most people. Diba? Anong impact ng you know that Rizal was imprisoned in Fort Santiago, then he was shot in Bagumbayan. But if you see it, if you walk the path, the tangibility, eh, the sights, the sounds, the smells, I guess, that all these tangible aspects are only present when you tour, when you go out, when you see it and hear the place for yourself. If I tell you that Escolta was the Fifth Avenue of Manila during the 1920s, 1930s, so what? It's a line of text. If I take you to Escolta and show you all the old buildings, then it becomes more real for you. You mentioned earlier that it's Intramuros that has a lot of tourists compared to the other places. What do you think sets Intramuros apart from the other places in Manila? Intramuros, for all intents and purposes, is our Angkor Wat. Kung Bangkok to, it's our Grand Palace. Diba? Kung Hong Kong to, it's the skyline. It's the number one destination. It's the destination that's automatic on everybody's head. So when you go to Manila, you have to go to Intramuros. And then Luneta. And then everything else. But it's kind of the first Thing. When you do a Manila research, Intermuros is the first thing that pops up. And rightfully so. Because Intermuros is the only heritage zone of its size and size and scale that is still in Manila. When you step out of Manila and you go out to the outskirts, you go to Makati and Pasig and Las Piñas, Quezon City, Taguig, Paranaque and all of that, you may probably have like one or two buildings. You probably have a small area but nothing with as much concentration of heritage structures as Intermuros. I would say that out of, for example, 10 inquiries for tours, I'd say that around eight is always, always an Intermuros tour. Very rarely do I get requests to do tours of anything outside of Intermuros. How have the historical tours evolved in Intermuros since you started as a tour guide in terms of demographic? and types of tourists? 
when I was still hanging out with Sila Carlos, when I was just going to Intermuros for, you know, the occasional tour or just to hang out and yung casual or, you know, casual study lang, more often than not, the type of toys you would get are the type that gets ported over by tourists and tour buses, tour companies. So it's usually large groups of Chinese or Korean or Japanese tourists being herded. You'd have a few tourists here and there, but that's basically your demographic. You fast forward to 2018, and then you start noticing that the tour groups are still there, but now you see a new demographic. You start to see backpacker types. And you know they're backpackers because one, they're Caucasian, two, they're horribly dressed. And they, they have really huge backpacks. So you're starting to see groups of one to three Caucasians walking around, exploring the place by themselves usually. And that's that. Local tourism has actually increased in 2018. What's crazy now, the past two months, Intermuros has been breaking records in terms of tourism. Just this weekend, they broke the single day receipt of Fort Santiago with having over 10,000 guests on a day that is not Independence Day, a day that is not Holy Week. Just to give you perspective, then Holy Week back in 2019 was considered record-breaking because parang they had 80,000 guests all in all. But that was Holy Week. Okay. You had over 10,000 paying guests to go inside Fort Santiago to hang out. That is a record. And for all intents and purposes, it might be broken pa within the next couple of weeks. And mind you, at on this 10,000 does not include tour groups because wala tayong tour groups ngayon. Because most of the time, Chinese tourists have been knocked out because of the coronavirus issue. These are local tourists. So grabbing sobrang nagbabago yung demographic. Again, I would love to see how the IA crunches the numbers once it gets to because it's going to help them when the season becomes lean. It's going to help them plan accordingly. Eh. So sobrang wild na yun. I have never seen Intermuros so filled with people the past month. Lines in Fort Santiago are unheard of. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that you're lined up for 30 minutes. It does not happen. It does not happen uh, people are having picnics all across Intermuros. It's not done. But now because ang daming tao, ang daming pumupunta sa Intermuros, we have that now. It's now the new norm. And it's crazy, actually. It's fantastic, and it's crazy. It's not only caused by the new opening of the dungeons. That's part of it, I think, eh, because there's so much hype with the dungeons. Eh. But if it was just the dungeons, then you, there's no need to hang out once you've been there. Diba? Kasi, okay, let's step away from Intermores for a bit. Let's take Jones Bridge, for example. When Jones Bridge was beautified, because it wasn't restoration, eh, it was beautification, and Totally fine with that. It was relaunched and it was beautified. Of course, had all these people going there over the holidays, dumame, but eventually komonti then. Because once makita mo rain bridge, you're done. So while the dungeons is uh, well, a relaunched attraction, it does not explain why we entire families are going to Fort Santiago. B, why they are staying for over two hours. So, a lot of it is not explained by just launching a new exhibit. I think it's more of a culmination of so many little things. For example, no matter how you feel about the guy, 
the fact that Mayor Escomereno cleaned up so many aspects of Manila, and we're not just talking about yung Bonifacio Shrine in front of him. We're talking about decongesting Quiapo and Divisoria. We're talking about cleaning Jones Bridge. We're talking about clearing the sidewalks of Recto and taking out the illegal structures in Luneta and stuff like that. What that does kasi is that it gives a signal for people that Manila is safer and Manila is more open. And when he came into power and he started doing all these things, there has been a marked improvement of the local tourists going. If only for the curiosity aspect of it, maganda na ba talaga? Nilinis ba talaga nila yan? And then when you realize that, yeah, it's there and it's there to stay and it's safer to go to Manila, then you start attracting everybody who has not been to Manila for the longest time. And then Intermurus also. Because over the past couple of years, the Intermurus administration has been top-notch. Has been so supportive of all projects and initiatives. They're such forward thinkers ngayon. So Intermurus in itself has cleaned up so many areas within the walled city. So now it's more walkable, it's more peaceful, it's cleaner, it's more tourist-friendly. I guess it's a combination of so many factors ngayon dito. That's why now we are experiencing huge numbers in these areas because you've done a lot of small things that makes it easier for people to go and visit in the first place. Let's go now how, on how you met Carlos Andrade. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I met Carlos the same way that a lot of people meet Carlos by attending one of his tours. So, I think that was 2006. So I attend these tours and I proceed to get blown away by what he says, especially when you start talking about the destruction of Manila. Because honest to God, that's one aspect that it's not taught in schools. And I checked. They're still not teaching people about the wanton destruction of Manila during the Second World War. It's still not being taught. So once you start telling me that the entire areas of Manila was wiped out, between 100 to 250,000 people were killed, somebody who did not know that information, that's as such as I was, was completely shocked. And in fact, I didn't believe him. So I started doing research. I started reading up. And then I realized that not only what he said was true, although dramatized, all the information was just there sitting waiting to be discovered. Ayun, I got hooked. And then, every time that he does a special tour that does not require payment, sumasama ako. So, eventually, ganyan. Tapos, because at the time naman, 2006, I was working for a couple of multimedia companies. So, any chance that I get to go to one of his events, to cover one of his events, or to interview Carlos, I would volunteer. I don't actually know when we became friends. Basta I just knew that at some point we just became friends and then we just hung out. And then the whole thing eh. The Carlos kasi is... Yung mundo niya isang malaking circus. And of that circus, he's the ringmaster. And there's so many characters and so many larger-than-life people that evolve around him. Eh. And at that point, I had no ambition to be front and center. I was perfectly happy just being in the back of the room, just being a witness to everything. But I don't know what it was about me that eventually parang I took over yung Lamona Loca niya and turned it into a story because ako yung inintest to take care of it. I don't know what it was about me that he told me that when he leaves, maybe I should tour for real. 
Did you apprentice under Harvest I did not apprentice. Uh, let me be very clear on that. I did not apprentice for Carlos at all. Because for me to claim that is a lie. I don't think he has ever apprenticed anybody. I wish he did. I would have loved to. But what did happen was that because of I've taken his tour so many times and I've absorbed some of his energy dito. It's just kind of training. How, not really on his theatricality. He'll be the first to tell you that he does not do historical tours. He does stage performances. He's a performer, not a historian. But what I learned from Carlos because of watching him constantly for the past decade and a half was his ability to control a room, his ability to talk to people even at the back row, his ability to connect to anybody no matter who you are, what you are. Maski gano kang ka-weird, maski gano kang ka-boying, maski gano kang ka-normal, maski gano kang ka-sabog, he found a way to connect to you. That's what I learned from him. I don't know how much I did, but... I did. Did any of the tour services around Intramuros carry over his projects after he left? Yung Walk This Way tour niya, once he died, it was decided upon that we would stage it one more time with Gabe Mercado. Because Gabe Mercado is the only other person who has actually staged the Walk This Way tour. Nobody else did. And we only did that as a tribute to Carlos. There are no plans to do that tour in the foreseeable future. Baka sa death anive niya, maybe, maybe not. We can't really say. Manila Tansisio is still going to be continued even without Carlos. Last year, I took lead on that and we staged a small event. Nowhere near the theatricality and the poignancy of the past events, but I just needed it to continue with my admittedly smaller resources. Beyond that, kasi, Carlos has always been all about rediscovering Manila. Letting people go back to the old city and discovering it for themselves. Eh. And now it's happened. If it was just the same group of people who support Carlos, then it's the same 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 people who are going to come in and out. Eh. When you hit 8,000, 9,000, 10,000 people per weekend, that's not the same group of people. These are new people. So in a way, brutally and ironically, when he passed, that's when his vision came to life. All that he could ask for is for Manila to be beautified. It's for people who live in the city to wake up and appreciate it. And for people who live outside the city to come in and rediscover it. This is everything. What is the most valuable lesson you've learned from Mr. Seldran that you also wish to channel to visitors during your tours? The best lesson that I've learned from Carlos is if you live in Manila, you need to love your city. No matter how chaotic, no matter how confused, no matter how dangerous and dirty and horrible it can be at times, you need to love your city, pockmarks and all. Because the moment you don't love your city, you won't care about it. The moment you don't care about your city, you're not going to do any effort whatsoever to try to transform things. For all intents and purposes, Carlos Seldon was just one man going out of his way to make other people see past all the negative stuff and to see the beauty that was still 
inherent in Manila. But because of all these efforts, he inspired an entire generation of historians, of heritage advocates, of tour guides, of people who just love the city. There's not a single tour guide working in Tamuros now that is not going to name Sildan as an inspiration. None. Every single one of us have looked up to him. There's not a single heritage advocate that is going to say that Sildan did not inspire them. Not a single one. Everybody looked up to him. And because of him, we're all here. Thank you, Mr. B. Kanaki, for joining us. Thank you for having me. That concludes another episode of B-Side. Once again, you heard Benjamin Kanapi, Wander Manila Head Tour Guide, and Michelle Ann P. Saliman, Arts and Leisure Reporter, talking about the beloved city of Manila. This episode was recorded before Manila was locked down on February 24 at the Business World Studio in New Manila, Quezon City. This is Samuel Marcelo. Thanks for listening and keep safe. Music